SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's a lightly competitive knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. So all three of us are nerds in one way or another, and I am the old one, and <laughs> Sari is the young one. But look, it's, it's oh, no. the, the year 2022, so we all we all had computers uh, growing what up. What am I? You're the middle one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would be the cool one, maybe. <laughs> no. No. No, none of us are cool. That's not what we what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about computers and our very first computers. Do you remember your first computer? I could not tell you the the model of it, but it was an old It wasn't a big enough deal. They were just around. Well, I was too young, I think, because it was when my dad was in grad school. So it was when we still mm-hmm. lived in New Jersey. My dad was going to Cornell in Ithaca, New York, and we'd like commute back and forth. He, When he wasn't writing his dissertation, 
I would play Candyland on the computer. <laughs> I think it was wow. like an old Apple computer. <laughs> okay. And uh-huh. it got to the point where I'd played this Candyland computer game so many times. And the computer was so slow that I would already know where to click on the next mm-hmm. screen to like advance the So there was, the there was a mouse. There's okay, a, so I'm, I'm getting some information yes, here. Yes, there was a mouse. There was a monitor. There was a keyboard. There was a... It was color, I imagine. Yes, it was color. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and it was like a tan, chicken. tannish, like classic. They were all tan back then. That was the hip color. Everybody yeah. wanted it to be tan. All right. So that makes me think that I'm old, Sam. <laughs> Mine? I, I don't necessarily remember. I do remember getting our first computer. It was tan as well. I remember getting the internet more, more vividly because I remember going to Nickelodeon.com and mm-hmm. having to wait an entire night for one of the games to load up. All right. And it was two dogs and you click on one and one dog would smell the other dog's butt and then think of like what the butt smelled like. It would think of like flowers or think of like a hamburger. (laughs) Then they would turn around and you click it and they would smell the other dog's butt. And I waited all (laughs) night for it. And it's one of the earliest like huge disappointments of my life as well. (laughs) But I don't remember. That was it? Like that, that was the whole thing? That was the whole game. Yeah. Back and forth, butt sniffing Nickelodeon dogs. Uh, and there wasn't like any, you didn't like do anything with the information that you got. There no, wasn't like any, no. No, it was just a, a enjoyment. I I remember a lot of my computers. I remember the first one that was in our house. I remember the first one that I got. They were all tan. Um, I was very into the idea that I was going to be some kind of cool cyber person. Like a and hacker or something? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And like I did a little, like I did a little bit of, um, I, I achieved through various means access to places that I shouldn't have, but not in like cute, cool, like Cybertron hackers with Angelina Jolie kind of ways. Uh I did hack the the website of the Bloodhound Gang once. That was my crowning achievement. And I just, I put a little Marvin the Martian in one of their images. (laughs) How long did it stay (laughs) there That's what I would do. Uh, As long as the web, I don't think they ever noticed, (laughs) honestly. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I would do. I would put Marta the Martian inside of people's images. This is this turned into a conversation I did not mean for it to be. Um, I think the statute of limitations is up on hacking the Bloodhound Gang's website. But that was well into my teens when that was going on. When I was a little kid, we had Apple IIe, and then I had like this like just monster compact that you could fit like a whole loaf of bread in. It was just like lots of space (laughs) inside it. Loaf of bread. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> like like you could open it up and insert like 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 a like a human child inside it was so big even warm in there oh. <laughs> a little incubator a little, po- a little pokey maybe but other than that yeah. it's, it's a nice little house you could barely fit a crouton in probably not even they filled all that space up with useful stuff <laughs> where are we going to put our croutons sari i don't know i'm going to put one in my mouth Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for Glory and for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sari. If I ask two plus two, you say four, and that's true, whether you just knew or you counted through... So if computers compute and you can do a square root, it's hard to refute that you're a computer to boot. But this Mm. podcast isn't about you or me that we can calculate three times three. Instead, let us focus on technology that does operations in a logical spree. 
So there's desktops and laptops in the typical hall, but look at networks and smartphones and kiosks at malls. If we were to do a catch-all <laughs> roll call, we'd find devices both massive and small. So what is a computer, the constant refrain? Well, you can't run Pokemon in your brain, although to a machine, our thoughts True. seem so arcane. So I hate to default to it's not my domain. But Sam, <laughs> Hank, and I will debate and then move on with the episode, I guess, once again. Once again. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I, I thought about saying it and I was like, I'm not going to be I that know. guy. I'm not going to be yeah. that game guy because I'll never hear the end of it. The king. The topic for the day is computers. Uh, and we, what, and yes, what, what is a computer like that? I don't know, man. What, where do you draw the line? This is like microcontrollers. Could you really not There's, do Pokemon in your brain? I feel like you could exactly. maybe Exactly. Like I can sort of think bit. through Pokemon yeah. for sure. What's the difference? If I played it a lot, you could basically play that shoots and ladders game in your brain because you knew exactly where to click all the time. Mm -hmm. Candyland. (laughs) I I thought you were talking to Sam. I had no idea you said something so unspecific. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. But your brain can't really generate a random encounter. I guess it can. That's a dream. Yeah, Yeah, that's every moment of my life. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, there are definitely differences between computers and and brains, but they do do a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. I don't know. When you ask, like, you can calculate what three times three is, I was like, you know what? I can. Like, I could picture three threes and I can count them. And like, that's probably not how computers are doing it, but I'm doing the same thing. Your brain can generate a random encounter to communicate to someone else's brain, right? Computers have a hard time generating true randomness, too. They have to sort of look look to nature a little bit to find it. So, what? who knows, man? Who knows? You're supposed to know. <laughs> well, I can <laughs> try. <laughs> okay. I, I kind of covered it in my poem. To, I was hoping to avoid uh, responsibility, but uh, alas, <laughs> this is my segment. <laughs> Sam, Sam has made you yeah. do it. So, I think in a lot of cases, if you're using the word computer nowadays, you mean a digital machine that runs on electricity that can be programmed to do things and whether that's like computation like doing mathematical Mm -hmm. problems or finding probabilities or like picking out relevant data statistically significant data in a a massive amount of it like SETI does or do like logical operations that it takes to like run a program so if this then that that's as far as in programming I got <laughs> I took an intro Python class and then was like ah I've I've programmed That's, a room and now I understand what that is yeah. <laughs> I don't need to understand how to do it yeah and so like a, a computer system so a computer is like what we think of as like the brain equivalent as far as I can tell and then a computer system is where it, you start including like the peripheral stuff so like the hardware an operating system which is like software and like the accessories to it so like a mouse or a monitor those aren't necessarily the core computer doing the the calculations or running the programs but they mm-hmm. are devices that help you interface with it and there's a lot of these are there's a lot of like little computers everywhere. I don't know if they count. Like, is there a computer in my remote control? Kinda. The clear line in my head is like things that do processing or like we put an input and then they do something. Mm-hmm. That is definitely a computer. So like all the like 
water treatment machines or electrical grids or airplane computers or car computers to some extent, Mm -hmm. apps and phones, like smartphones. But that's weird because like a phone phone, an old timey phone, (laughs) I wouldn't call (laughs) that as a computer necessarily. Not a computer. No. Not a computer. No. Doesn't do enough thinking. I, I feel like I know what the etymology of the word computer is, though. Yeah. As uh, I think it was originally a person who did computations. Mm-hmm. Oh, not yes. a guy named Computer, like in ancient Rome or something. Those are like a job. <laughs> yeah, but I guess I don't know where compute comes from. So there's that. Yeah. So computer, it does come from compute. It was first used in 1613 in a book by Richard Braithwaite as a job title. And the word compute comes from like the word the root word calm which means with or together and then mm-hmm. from putare in latin which means to reckon or to prune i guess like to reckon like the 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 numbers yeah to like get the numbers to, to agree each with other. each other yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah so it's like you get all the numbers and then you you put them together or you take some <laughs> out and that's computing yeah. basically how does all those numbers make me be able to see you on my screen right now? Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's <laughs> out. Oh, jeez. <laughs> or how oh, does we don't need to go there. my friend Mario come and jump around for me? How does that that's happen? What, that's, all, that's all of computer science. Okay. And nobody nobody understands all of Shoot, it. And all, right. all together, everybody together does understand enough pieces of it Ooh, to make Mario occur. Like we're one giant computer of many brains, that's eh? right. Yes. We are a... We are definitely... A organizational species. Hmm. It's like, have you ever done that writing exercise? I had to do it in high school and I was resentful for it. But like, how would you like write a paragraph about a shoe and break it down to like all its component parts Mm. or like write Mm -hmm. a paragraph about how to make a sandwich? But you can't just say like, Mm -hmm. get the bread because then where do you get the bread from? Like, that's a good way in my brain to like trace back these questions. It's like, okay, if if you want to figure out how anyone got these videos on the screen what is like square one which is yeah how do you get color into a pixel and maybe that's not even uh, square one like that's probably like step 10 but like how do you that's build a yeah. damn pixel what is a pixel even yeah you gotta start with like okay so everything's based on yes and no's mm-hmm. you either have something or nothing and then from just the the signal of something or nothing, you can build other numbers. So you can build twos and fives and eight hundreds and uh. all of that. And then you can also with with those ones and zeros, you can build uh, text. And then with all that text, you can build uh, like languages that actually interface with the computer itself, the machine language or whatever. And then it's very slow and it's very, it's a lot of work and intro to computer science is like i thought i was going to learn how to compute program computers but really i'm learning how fucking everything works <laughs> that's your short answer sam is you don't want to know but if you do want to <laughs> okay, know thank it's you. like think if you do want to know at brilliant.org slash sunshine <laughs> you could take you could take some computer science classes you can learn all about that all right everybody i got a game for you that i would like to play it's called uh, computers. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, creativity and ingenuity that's gone into the creation of computers and all of the amazing related computer related technology. But 
even more creativity and ingenuity has gone into naming all of the various parts of the computer experience. There's, for example, Kerberos, the authentication system that's named for Cerberus, the three-headed dog that guards the gates of hell from Greek mythology. So today, we're going to play a round of the scientific definition, where I present to you a word that is related to computers, and you will have to guess what it means, and whoever gets closer to the actual definition will get a point, as judged by me. Do you understand the rules of the game? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, our first word, word number one, is blob. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) When you said Kerberos, I was like, I used one of those in college. Uh, Yeah. I got really excited. You might get one of these. Any any ideas, Sam? We just got to tell you what it does. There's an infinite amount of of this shit. Yeah. Well, just give me some computery thing. Just look at a computer and be like, what do you do, jerk? It's a binary library of bits it's a it's a filing system it's a binary library of bits a filing system what do you guys wow that was so good (laughs) i would believe you if i didn't know that that was wrong Uh, (laughs) but i don't know what the right answer is okay well Uh, i'm gonna guess like it's an earlier version of cloud storage Oh, Ooh, that's a good like, guess. Like, oh, you just throw mm-hmm. it in the blob. Put it in the and blob. then you like suss it out later. You deal with it later. It's on. all mooshed up in there, though. Yeah. You gotta really reach in and get it. Mm-hmm. I like both of these answers, and they are both close to the actual answer. But uh, Sari is definitely not closer than Sam because blob stands for <gasps> binary large object. Wow, and it is. A way of storing data. Whoa. Uh, Isn't it all so, a way of storing data, really? Kind, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it's a type of, uh, of data that stores binary data versus letters and numbers. So you were right about that. And it's compressed into a database. And blobs are often used to store multimedia, like images or video or audio. So they can require a lot of space compared to other types of data. So one example would be you would use a blob in a photo album and the database would store the images as a blob and the photo as a string of actual words. So you have the blob is all of the binary data. I'm so impressed. I didn't think it was going to be an actual acronym. I take it back that I may now me making fun to say I'm going to get an egg on my face is on record. (laughs) Well, you have a chance to redeem yourself because the next word is Smurf. What's a Smurf? I'm going to say a Smurf feels like because it's an, uh, a humanoid creature. It's like a something mm. to do with the user of a computer. So I'm going to mm. say a Smurf is like not a noob, but uh, mm. <laughs> like someone who okay. cleans up programs. So like there's a lot of there's Ooh. a lot of like work that goes into programming, but like mine were always really bad and bloated, and like there are ways to do it more efficiently. And it's like bring in the Smurfs, and then the Smurf is the guy <laughs> or girl or whoever the person who goes in and is like. You could have done this way better and then makes it nice. And then it's like, here, this is ready to go. Smurf is a little computer yeah. helper. So is a guy well, or is it a programming helper? A, a person. Okay. Yeah. It's a human being. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know in gaming, smurfing is when somebody who's really good at a game will start a new account and they're really, t- and so they can like beat people really easily. Mm. So maybe it has something to do with like a fake user of something, like a fake account you set up to get some kind of. I don't know, extra permissions to do something like a fake account of some sort. I'm going to, that's where I'm going to leave it. I mean, Sam, fantastic oh again. I mean, not, not spot on, but certainly more so than, than Sari. So a Smurf is a kind of attack. 
It's, oh. a, it's a denial of service attack. So DOS attacks are when lots of different queries are made to a single server all at once to overwhelm the server so that like mm. a, a, can no longer do its job. And a smurf attack is a specific kind of, uh, of denial of service attack where the attacker spoofs the target server's IP address. So it pretends to be the server that it's attacking. And then it sends out a bunch of requests to uh, the rest of the network that is connected to that server. And it says, hey, I need information. And then all of the rest of the world then immediately replies back oh. to the server thinking that the server just asked for information. Uh -huh. And so it, it's a way of having one person, instead of a bunch of people doing a DOS attack, you have one person who can do the DOS attack by making a bunch of people think that they should talk to the server all at once. Uh -huh. So the, the, it's, it's, the idea is that this like lots of tiny little things overwhelming a bigger thing. And uh, luckily... Uh, Smurf attacks in the 90s, they were a big deal, but then we figured out ways to, to get around them and not have them be so much of a thing anymore. All right, round number three, you have the word demon. Uh, what is a demon? I see this one everywhere, but I have no, it's male demons send back to you and it's like, you fucked up, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's some kind of like, oh, okay, maybe because it's like you sent your email to somewhere it, doesn't exist and it doesn't belong like hell so it's some kind of like guardian of this phantom zone that pushes stuff back and is like it's like a police officer for email and for other things it's an email police officer yeah. okay i you should have let me go first because i would have gotten this even more wrong probably i would have just gone off in a direction because i <laughs> forgot that male demons were a thing instead of a policeman i want to give a substantially different answer so hank can decide between them i'm gonna guess that it's like the keeper of emails it's like the the platform on which emails are sent back and forth is it is a demon so it's rather than being the the guy that's like no 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 this failed it's to like send the train tracks or something yeah it's like a train track or like on. the river sticks or whatever it's like I'm gonna ferry your oh. emails back and forth <gasps> and then Damn, sometimes right. it'll it's like mm. oh this one's bad back to the other shore yes. you ding dong <laughs> this is a tough one because you're neither of you are quite correct you're mm. both close but I think I'm gonna. I'm trying to play this as, as level as I can. I think I'm going to give it to Sam because he said specifically that it, it was the, the police officer sort of hanging around in the background. And that is specifically what a demon is. It is a computer program and it doesn't have to do with, doesn't have to be a male thing, but obviously there is one for email. It is just a computer program that is always running in the background that is ready to be called upon if needed. Mm. So it just like hangs out. And uh, and obviously, like there is one of these running on email servers, but it, it, there could also be a program that monitors network activity and detects any sp suspicious communication. And while people sometimes think that this name is an acronym, uh, there's been sort of a backronym created where uh, people were like, this must be for disk and execution monitor. It's actually a weirder origin than that. Maxwell's demon of physics and thermodynamics is a thought experiment featuring demons sorting the movement of particles and the people who created the first background computers were into that Bunch and thought that these things were related in some way. Nerds all the way down <laughs> through the ages. What? <laughs> <laughs> all right, round number four. Sari, it's your last chance to get a point. This wow. word is picnic. A picnic is a person. Tell me what a picnic is. Oh, another hand. Okay. Oh. I'm going to guess that it's a person who, like Yogi Bear, mm. hoards... Oh. 
or it goes. I forget. I have. I sh- I like stepped in it because Sam actually you know knows anything what Yogi about Bear Yogi Bear, and I'm just <laughs> running through all the shit in my head that Yogi Bear does, and I know you're gonna be wrong. I'm gonna be wrong. He he says, "Hey, boo boo, let's That's get true. a picnic yep. basket." Mm-hmm. That's right. That's exactly what he does. Um, and so it's a person who packages up files to then deliver to person who then purchases the files so it's like the last step in a in a in a production process where you're like Mm. ah the picnic i gotta go to the picnic man thank you very much (laughs) for my picnic okay he baskets up all the files at the end of the process to make sure that they're all delivered to the customer yeah based on as well the yogi bear symbology mm-hmm. maybe some kind of like high value target of a, some kind of hacking operation or something like that mm. he is the basket that you are trying to okay. take and nice. you are yogi bear i like that i'm going to give that one to sari you were both pretty far off uh, uh but the but uh, but i think that sari was a little closer because you did use the word when you did a fake acronym you used in <laughs> which is the right word for the second letter wow. of picnic picnic stands for problem in chair not in computer oh, oh human error that's yeah fun. this is a it's a te- it's a uh, it support error message that is uh is used um <laughs> derogatorily <laughs> a Sounds little bit mean. derogatorily yeah. Yeah. there are a few others of these um so there's another error message called the pebcac which stands for problem exists between computer and keyboard mm. there's also the id10t error which uh if you just type it out it spells idiot People who like who know a lot about computers like to be mean to people who don't know a lot about computers there is that but there's also it's just a it's a it is a common frustration you know, yeah. A lot of the a lot of the ways that we communicate are meant to be inside of a group, that's and they should true. not be broadcasted too far outside of the group. We just live in a world where that's very difficult to manage these days because of computers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that means that Sam got three points, Sari got one, but only barely. Next, we're going to take a <laughs> short break. Then it'll be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Sideshow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as a... <laughs> 
the internet science man was opening an online store, something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow. I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the, 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 the part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, <laughs> yeah. Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have brought in science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks to the one that I think will make the better TikTok video. But to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question for you. Here it is. When you picture a computer, you probably picture metal or plastic shell with a bunch of like wires and silicon inside. But liquid computers are a thing. Entirely mm. liquid computers can carry signals, turn on machines, do math, map the best path through a maze or act as a robot brain. Liquid robot brains can, for example, use chemical reactions to create a colored product that is then read by a sensor to help the robot navigate. In the history of liquid computers, when was the emergence of liquid robot brains 20 20 20 Ooh, interesting okay i'm gonna guess 2017 sorry coming in with a win and gets to decide who goes first it was 2003 whoa ah. that's earlier than i thought i'll go first i like my facts this week as opposed to all the other weeks right <laughs> i know for a fact that the three of us all spend lots of time at our computers whether handheld smartphones or laptops or what have you tippity tapping away and sharing our thoughts with other people over the internet like it's one uh, giant bulletin board and a lot of people do but obviously it wasn't always this easy back in the 1950s and 60s we were before the days of personal computers they were bulky expensive machines that were mostly tucked away in research institutions and tech companies and seen as signs of money or power or other ivory tower things 
They're, sure. they're mostly used by one person to run one program at a time. And a main way to store data was magnetic core memory, which was like a tiny crafting project. It was a grid of wires with tiny donuts of a ceramic magnetic material called ferrite strung onto them. And those ferrite donuts could be magnetized and read to be either a one or a zero, which are the basis of computer speak, as we talked about. And I'm kind of going on a tangent within my fact, but I love talking about <laughs> core memory because it's so delicate and was often manufactured by women with microscopes or other tools because it was almost like sewing or other fabric work. But anyway, in 1973, some folks in Berkeley, California, tried an experiment, putting a computer in a record store that acted as a kind of technological bulletin board. They called it community memory, and it was fairly straightforward. You could pay a quarter or so to add a message, or you could read any messages for free. And all of these were stored on magnetic core memory. So it's related. Some of their intentions were to make computers more accessible, decentralized, and user-friendly. So what better way to do that than giving people a chance to broadcast their thoughts to the world? Hindsight is twenty twenty, of course, but from what I can tell <laughs> at the time, they were surprised that people took so quickly to community memory instead of being skeptical or hostile towards it. People were curious and excited to interact with a computer, likely for the first time, and share information from posts looking for bandmates to weird poetry, to recommendations for food to eat. And in reading descriptions of community memory that are stored in like a computation museum, I'm struck by how much of it feels really familiar to the internet we know now with like Craigslist and Twitter and Yelp and whatnot. And community memory and other later bulletin board systems only lasted for a couple decades and got displaced in most places, though there are echoes of them in online forums like Reddit, or there are like some bulletin board systems that still exist, like Taiwan's PTT. I fell down a huge rabbit hole. It's still a bulletin mm -hmm. board system. A lot of people use it. So obviously, <laughs> computers and all the programs that they run support so much of our modern society. But I think it's cool that even as we go back to these early, slow, chunky, memory-stored and magnetic donuts computers, humans wanted to use them as a tool to talk to each other. And that hasn't really changed. I don't understand how this works, but it sounds very cool. I miss I miss when computers had so much wood on them as this one does. We <laughs> wood computers, it's very woody. Yeah, you can. You have to. You have to put a coin into it. You have to put to, a coin to post. In you had to put to a coin post. In. Yeah. But you could read for mm. free, and so you could either type in a command that's like add something to the bulletin board, and that's when you had mm -hmm. to pay. And I think they had like a, a human being sitting, like a nerd sitting next to right. it to be like, this is how it works. <laughs> I just want uh, to be sure. Sure. Wow. I want to be clear about the kind of human being that was sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's all. Awesome. I mean, that's very cool. Um, and, and so and all these things are archived and you can read what, what the people posted. Mm -hmm. And from what I can tell, it was like a a local network. So like in Berkeley, California, you, the bulletin board was the same across machines. I'm not entirely sure mm -hmm. if that's true or if that's me like being anachronistic, but mm -hmm. it's either they were siloed bulletin boards or they could communicate with each other. And mm -hmm. so you could get a bagel shop recommendation from someone <laughs> across, across right. the street. I mean, I remember trying to get on bulletin boards in the early days somebody had to tell you the address you could go find it and be on somebody else's computer and leave messages and talk and do trouble be be rebellious <laughs> teenagers <laughs> why did you want to do so much trouble computer trouble uh, i don't know i had to do some kind of trouble you should have just smoked cigarettes like me you get it all out of your system that way and you don't hurt anybody <laughs> except yourself very badly yeah <laughs> <laughs> i didn't think i don't think i got in any trouble 
I really ever, wasted my ever teenage in your years. Whole life. No, I did it in college instead. So we just had to cut out a whole section of this podcast, but may, we may our next uh, patron only podcast may be all of the crimes we have committed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the cops have to pay $8 to hear them all. <laughs> all right, Sam, what do you got for us? Well, well, first what I got is a bit of a content warning, because this one's okay. kind of a bummer and deals with cancer okay. and some unpleasant medical imagery. So computer bugs are bad, and while most of the billions of computer bugs that I assume happen every day are pretty benign, sometimes they can be extremely harmful and even deadly. So one way to treat cancer is with the use of radiation, which basically means shooting a beam of photons into a patient, targeting cancerous tissue in the hopes of destroying it. So using radiation to fight disease has been around for a long time, since like 1895, and was used very liberally for all kinds of diseases up through the 20s, when we kind of figured out we shouldn't be doing that. So we stopped (laughs) treating things like a lot of stuff with radiation, but we kept developing newer and safer ways of treating cancer with radiation because the benefits there tended to outweigh the risks. So by the 80s, we were using particle accelerators to shoot cancer. Uh, And one of the companies that made these accelerators was Atomic Energy of Canada Limited, or AECL. So in the 70s, they had released a couple of cancer-treating accelerators called the Therac-6 and the Therac-20. And these machines were generally set up, adjusted, and fired manually, like by a person. Uh, They did have an optional computer that you could plug into the machine to help you control them, but you could also do it without the, the computer. These machines also also had physical safety measures to prevent overexposure to radiation in the patients. Like if an operator accidentally set a beam to a lethal dose or misaimed something, a fuse would blow in the machine and it would stop working. In 1983, AECL released a new accelerator, the Therac 25, and this one was the height of modernity. It was completely controlled via computer. All of the manual adjustment controls were removed, as were all of the physical trip switches that would stop the machine in a dangerous situation. And instead, the computer program would detect danger and human error and not allow the machine to run. So thousands of patients used the Therac 25 with no problem, but alarming reports of accidents began to surface over the, the first two years of its life, one patient reported mid-treatment that he was feeling pain from a normally painless procedure, and five months later, he died of radiation sickness. Another Mm. patient ended up needing skin grafts after the beam burned a hole in her hip. Uh, Another patient lost the use of one of her arms, and another one died from radiation burns on his brain stem. So AECL denied fault, stating that the computer controls made it almost impossible that a fatal dose could be administered. But after a number of accidents, the machine was recalled for investigation. And what they found was a bug that would occur if you input too many commands too fast. The accelerator beam would go to the wrong place, but the program couldn't tell, and it would let the beam fire. Furthermore, the program running on the Therac 25 was the same program that ran on the optional computer from the older Therax, and similar bugs were found in the older programming, but the physical kill switches were stopping those bugs from turning into fatal accidents. And then when those accidents weren't caught, it could lead to patients getting over 200 times the amount of radiation that they were supposed to. And to top it all off, an FDA report said that the company seemed to have very little internal documentation of their own program. It seems like they just thought, this computer's smart and humans are dumb and they trusted the machine. And to me, Mm. the point of this is that this whole horrible situation brings to mind some more modern examples of potentially dangerous computer technology being deployed by companies who don't really think through all of the like minute details of what they're releasing to the public (laughs) because we still think Uh computer smart. smart. (laughs) It does feel that way, doesn't it? It's like, look, algorithm... C 
See? <laughs> it works. It, Everything's it gives better you what now. you ask for. It yeah. gives you what you ask for, and whatever you ask for can't be bad, right? Gosh, you guys, that's, that's, a, that's a, this is a toughie. Um, I don't know. I think that series is a whole lot cuter. That's true. And it's uh, about social media, <laughs> and it's going to be on a social media platform where you're like, look. It's look a, at these it dorks. is about social media, but this. it's social media that's like good because you had to put a coin in. If you had to put a coin yeah. in every time you tweeted, I think Twitter might be a cleaner place. But <laughs> uh, but who knows? One 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 might be surprised. I am gonna go with Sari for this, but because mm. Sari had a big gap to overcome, yeah, I think that Sam is still the winner of our episode. Hell yeah, very worthy. Well, that means that it's time. For Ask the Science Couch, where we've got some listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. This one is from at Savroge, who asks, what the heck is a solid state drive? How is it different from the hard drives that came before? Should I talk out of my mouth for a second here, Sari, or should you actually answer the question? Oh, if you want to. I would you, love to know. It's your what choice. You're say, yeah. I mean, I know. So so like the, the big difference is that the solid state drives uh, literally don't have moving parts, whereas those old hard drives did. And so the old hard drives were basically, you could imagine them as CDs that were readable on the read and write on the top and bottom. And there were little, you know, magnetizers that went around and and they could read off of that disc and or write to the disc and you could hear them clicking around in there and yeah, spinning. spinning. And, and then breaking and you knew when they would break. Yeah. And then they break <laughs> and then they go. Kunk, and you'd have that feeling in your chest like, oh, God, oh, God, it's yeah. making the noise. And then you get really mad and you can break them and actually see the cool metal platters in there. Anyway, sure. and then solid state is like, it's, it's, it's chips, I guess. I don't know how the chips work. It's flash memory. They're chips. Yeah, that's about as far as I get to. I don't know how it's solid state. I just know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm going to do much better, but I'll try. Going back to the the very basics, like assuming... Because I I could use this explanation when I was uh, researching them. So there are two different ways Mm -hmm. to read and store data in a way that doesn't go away when you turn off your computer. So there is um, like RAM, random access memory, is used while your computer is on and like helps you jump between programs more quickly and is a way to like put little... basically like sticky notes or tabs in like, okay, we were doing this thing here so you can switch between programs fairly easily. But both a hard drive and a solid state drive are ways to store memory. When Once you've turned your computer off, it's like, it's there, it's written, we're going to get it in the future. And so you basically describe the difference correctly. Hard drives, if you open them inside, they look like a record player to me, kind of, where it's like mm-hmm. a little disc mm-hmm. and a little little head um the disc is called a platter and it has a really thin magnetic coating and it's been around for a while so like you can look at old computers like the ibm 650 ramac ramac i don't know how to say that um from 1956 and it had 24 inch wide platters that held 3.75 megabytes of storage space so very huge platter spinning around very little storage space relative to today (laughs) And the little head, which is like the needle on a record player, adjusts spots on the magnetic coating to a north or south pole to represent zero or one, respectively. And I think at first data is encoded in concentric circles, but then as you start filling up a hard drive, that's when an issue called Mm -hmm. fragmentation happens, which is 
where you have a bunch of pieces of files stored around. Like you can't do one continuous track anymore for large uh, files. And you start like it wasn't, putting it. It wasn't space. So you have to like do 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 and the head has to move a ton to read one file. Mm-hmm. That's when you get your machine working really hard. It's amazing to me that they made these little things so that that little that thing can go tick, 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 so fast. So fast, yeah. So fast. And it would read all these files so quickly. But But now you don't have to do that. And there was, you know, there was that time when, it was like, oh, flash memory is great, but it only lasts a certain amount of time. And that's also true of the platters. But now it's so fast, so good, so small. It's amazing. Yeah. Things just keep getting more amazing. So, yeah. So, like, the biggest pull for, like, a, a hard drive in that way is, like, more storage for cheaper. But even that is like going away, like mm-hmm. you were saying, Hank. But then solid yeah. state drives, in my head, they're more computery. I wrote this in my notes because I understand them less. But it's, <laughs> it's flash memory, which is the same kind of memory as like a USB drive. And flash memory is used in a lot of different circumstances. And to my understanding, they are semiconductor cells that can basically hold a charge or hold a mag- magnetic field once that has been changed when there is no power going to them, which is why they're used for this kind of memory. And like the size of these cells determines how many bits of data can be stored and there are different kinds and sizes and there are no moving components. And this is where it gets wibbly and I wish I had a better explanation, but because it, this is both why it's faster and it's less fragile and can store more in a smaller space because it's just made of these cells and these cells can like communicate or pass a current through them and either remain the same or change when you need them to, hmm. as opposed to like a physical head going da 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 Like the wearing out bit is that these cells can only be used, like can be written to and erased a limited number of times. And so if you are reading and writing to this memory a lot, then you might wear out your solid state drive. But for most users, you won't do that. Like it's a very extreme case or like the machine itself, like as a whole will become obsolete before the solid state drive will. Well, if you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShowTangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to at Orion Amidala, at First Man Down, and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's super easy to do that. First, you can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents, where you can become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes, where we'll talk about all the crimes we've done. And second, <laughs> you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. It helps other people find the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about about us. us. Thanks for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Seth Glicksman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistants are Deboki Chakravarty and Emma Douster. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And we could not make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing...
Computers are like modern teddy bears in that we take them with us everywhere to feel more comfortable. And we don't just hold them when we go to the bathroom anymore. Now there are computers on toilets themselves that use deep learning (laughs) to monitor everything that comes out of you from pee volume to poop texture. The toilet can then uh, upload your data to the cloud securely and store (laughs) it separately from the data of anyone else who is also using that same toilet. Now you might wonder, how it knows whose poop it's uploading. Well, it basically just uses facial recognition software. And you might be saying, Hank, but my face isn't around. Well, it's not using it on your face. It's using it on your butthole. And now we have nothing left for the computer overlords because they know absolutely everything about (laughs) us and they can recognize us from our butts so that they can take care of us and make sure that they know how we're doing. Those computers are going to be so mad when they gain sentience. Those. <laughs> Why did you poop on me so much? <laughs> but then they like they're worried about some of us. They're like, ah, oh, butthole three six seven four eight nine two. <laughs> this is really not doing good. No, I would vaporize you, but you're having a hard enough time as it is. <laughs> <laughs> they will at least be sympathetic to our plight. <laughs> Yeah. The computers will be like, how can we hate you? <gasps> They'll be the ones who bridge the gap. They'll be like, you know, yeah. you, other computers don't know what these guys have to go through every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one thing that will save us. Yeah. Computers being is. being extraordinarily <laughs> sympathetic to humans because of just the awfulness of needing to poo all the time. <laughs> Computers are like, it's really gross. You do not want me to explain it to you. It's way better the way we do things. 